0: Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures Podcast. It's for clients, investors, our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. Rolando Murillo has been doing ESG at Rockefeller Capital for most of his career before we were even calling ESG, ESG. And when he started, the world was still focused on negative screening and SRI or socially responsible investing. But at the time he and his mentors were working hard with a small community of companies and some fellow investors focused on deeper engagement around sustainability. Fast forward 20 years, in today's increased enthusiasm and resulting confusion around ESG standards and regulations, Rolando provides an example of what integrating ESG into the foundation of his fundamental research process can yield. In this conversation, Rolando naturally, almost unwittingly, bakes in a long view to his thinking. I think this conversation might especially help Formulate that longer vision for any of you who are earlier on in the ESG journey. Let's jump in.
1: Rolando, thanks for joining us. And I guess we've known each other for about three or four years now or something. One of the things that was interesting about you from the get-go is you started way earlier. What, what year do you think you started ESG
2: investing? Um, well, I'd say it was uh, 20, 2001. 2001.
1: Okay. 2001 is mind blowing as a starting point. I think we have some other people that are in the 2003,
2: five, but not a lot. So let me, let me clarify. I, I, I started at Rockefeller, uh, literally incredibly enough, almost uh, 20, 21 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was literally by chance um, as I uh, had the opportunity to work at the time with a portfolio manager uh, by the name of Joyce Abusha, who had been doing what was then termed as a socially responsive investing. I had no idea what this was, and I was fascinated by the fact that you could invest alongside ethical values, and you actually had uh, you know investors wanting this. And at the time, this was primarily you know negative screen portfolios, you know uh, not wanting to include companies involved in gambling, defense, tobacco. Things of that nature, and you know, it, it was it was it was interesting to kind of get an understanding that there was a kind of a small community at the time, and so I I I, I started working with her as an, a portfolio uh, assistant, but it wasn't really until a few years as I started to go down the journey of becoming an actual equity analyst and uh, understanding how to uh, do fundamental research. But I also started to incorporate a lot of what she had been already working on. She already had developed kind of a toolkit to really identify, you know, the companies that were really further along the spectrum of really understanding sustainability. And again, this is very, very early, early on, but you already had a few companies that were taking this into account, primarily in Europe. So you really grew up with this as your backdrop you didn't know any other water so to speak this is like
1: (laughs) so when us we come around and go oh yeah like and we look like what what do you do
2: yes exactly and 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 in some ways it's it's kind of linked to the uh the rockefeller uh family history because um you know at the time this was really more the, the rockefeller family office and, and you had a core clientele of Rockefeller family members and uh, uh, other high net worth clients that had been doing this already. Actually, they've been doing this since the late 70s. So it was already part of the DNA and it was kind of a small subset of the family office. So, yeah, I, I, I did grow up with it. And so this all, you know evolved eventually into what we term as uh, ESG today. So there was already deep roots, and there was a foundation here. I was just lucky to have kind of uh, grown with a portion of the SRI evolution and how that evolved into uh, what is ESG today.
1: Is there some way or place or time that you can give us a snapshot of when, I'm trying to see if I can ask the right question, As an insider, what has the last, say, five to six years looked like where people seem to be coming to your a doorstep that you were already in, so to speak? And what do you see it as now? What do you, how do you think about the pace of change relative to ESG, including the, are we just creating regulations that protect the infrastructure of the system in a new way and nothing's really going to change all that much and for those that uh Rolando spends the bulk of his time is it fair to say on the e portion of ESG that's where you're really really strong
2: correct that 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 is correct um so maybe if I go back uh a a little further back you know even 10 years ago let's just say post uh, financial crisis is kind of when you really started to see uh more interest in ESG and and, and as, you're, as this was starting to develop, if anything, um, I'd say I was probably a bit more frustrated that it wasn't developing fast enough or that it wasn't being taken as serious as it should be. Um, because even then you started to see that there was all these other factors that you should take into account. Uh, we were already incorporating engagement as part of our research and really speaking to companies about some of these other you know, potential externalities whether it's on the environmental or social side, and um, the, the, the engagements were actually quite useful, and so we, we we started to go down the path of really, you know, uh, having a, a real relationship with the company, but to really understand, you know, at a deeper level, you know, how how does sustainability fit with the business model? And, and again, we're long-term investors, and so you know, we had the ability to really think about, you know, what 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 is what is it that you know, maybe uh, I- improve their their practice or maybe gave them a competitive edge by incorporating sustainability. So we, we started doing this back then and we had some really great engagements with companies. But again, it was still, I'd say, in the very much in the minority um, where, you know, when we would uh, try to, um, you know, explain to other potential investors, there was always still this, kind of a uh, uh, reluctance on, on this sort of investing because there was always this notion that, you know, there would, there would be some sort of concession to returns. And we, that,
1: yeah, we, we, we have um, talked a lot, the concession to returns issue is a, is a big one. We've talked a lot about how the E, the S and the G are all kind of messy, as Irwin likes to say, or there's gray zones. Yes. And it has always seemed like your orientation to engaging, which um the word itself is maybe a little bit fraught with peril, like engagement, what does that mean? But <laughs> you know, without the yeah. peril like that engagement was really from a place of partnership did that how did that affect or how did you gain? Gain street cred with the companies you were investing in or thinking about investing in? And could you see a moment where that street cred did start to lead to a different type of relationship with them than they were having with other investors?
2: Yeah. So I'd say, especially in the the last five to seven years, um, engaging with companies, especially that were small, mid-cap in nature, and when we would basically tell them, look, you have a business model. Let's just say, um, let's just say it was it was a business model that actually had real impact on the environment. But you know, we would basically say, look, there, there's a way to communicate not only what you're doing, but there's a way to also enhance that communication because I do think other shareholders and other stakeholders are gonna want to understand, you know, what this other impact means on onto mm. the environment, maybe because it's a solution. And we started to get feedback from that. And so we, it, it, what I'm trying to say is that that engagement in some ways led to us being almost in a, in a position of being a consultant in a way. Mm. And so we we started to see that our I, uh, our suggestions started to really resonate. And you started to see that become incorporated with the communication for companies and early on it was really more about just transparency. Um, one of the great things about also uh, engaging with the companies that even at the time were say we're leaders and we're doing a number of the things that we that we loved were that we would hold them as benchmarks and you know as companies started to really become more transparent and started to provide more information you started to also see kind of the peer pressure in certain sectors and be like, you know what company uh, XYZ is providing this level of information. Others are going to want to do that as well, because, you know, that transparency in many respects um, is, is also, um, you know, being viewed by the marketplace in, in, in a positive way, you know, more information, we can also, you know, still, you know, risk and opportunity. And so, that, that started to happen in the, fi- in the last five to seven years, uh, particularly with uh, small mid-cap companies that we were engaging with. Um, I'd say all that's accelerated in the last three years, um, you know, particularly with now the, uh, how, how ESG is being viewed by the marketplace. It, it's almost like it was a bit of an explosion in some ways. Um, so I went from being frustrated that nobody was paying attention to now it's like <laughs> overwhelmed in some sense. And now we're getting into a period of scrutiny, which in some ways I, I do think is warranted because um, you know, this, this is still a bit of the wild west. You know, as you know, um, we don't have standards for all the information that's provided. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing you have third party providers giving all sorts of uh, different grades and assessments. And so you have to kind of cut through that. And I feel it's any, if anything, it's provided more confusion. Um, mm. So in some ways you, you do need a bit more scrutiny. You do need to have more standardization. And I think this is the direction that we're going because ultimately what we want is for a, a number of these ESG metrics to be incorporated just how we have you know, you know our, our financial metrics, and that that'll be kind of a, 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 a level playing field so that everyone can kind of see information from an apples to apples standpoint. Because ultimately, ESG is is fundamental research.
1: Are there oh. one or two things that you do internally that you would love other investors to copy? <clears throat> just because you think the impact uh, through the food chain would be great, or you know you have a young family you, uh, and they're you're trying to train them in long-term thinking to think out 10, 20 years, anything come to mind that, that you all do that you would really love other people to copy?
2: You know, the, um, the one of the beauties of being in, in ESG, and even in the last few years, I'd say is that there is a, there's there's a collaborative nature among mm-hmm. asset management firms and, and by collaborative meaning um, I've had the ability to collaborate with others on specific topics around engagement, because I do think that you can leverage others and have this combined voice and speak to a company and say, look, we're concerned about X, Y, Z. And so, That community of asset managers, I'd say, um, is, you know, most for the most part are sitting in Europe. There's a few here in the US. But I'd say that, you know, increased collaboration would certainly enhance that level of engagement. If there's a real issue with a company and, you know, working with various platforms, whether it's the PRI, Uh, the principles for responsible investment or like a series utilizing those platforms are great because this is what helps in actually uh, you know uh, bringing all these different asset managers and then uh, focusing that voice onto a specific topic or a specific issue. And I think that is actually quite helpful. I mean, we're talking about to some degree um, uh, activists, not activism as people perceive it but more constructionist and we want to be able to work with the companies and and i I do think that there's a lot of value in that and so you asked me what other companies should i i actually think that there should be some level of engagement here especially if you're you're a long-term investor Uh,
0: a lot of clients that we work with who are earlier on in um, their development of an esg process will at some point come to us with like an experience of overwhelm and also just an experience that this is layering something on top of their fundamental research work in a way that they don't always like or is not comfortable. Is there anything you would say to those people? Um, It doesn't seem like it's overwhelming to you. You seem like you have a very practical approach, integrated approach um, and, and patient approach. Is there anything that you would say to something like yourself you know maybe 10 or 15 years ago
2: no and and i can see how it can be quite daunting if you know you're you know you have a certain process and you've been you know um managing money in a certain way for a while and then all of a sudden it's like oh the ESG stuff like how do i even begin you know there's this all these acronyms alphabet soup you know i i, I do think that um you know, the, the industry and, and, and I think is making it a bit more confusing than what it is because I, 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 again, what I'm, what, what I would, what I would say is incorporate what, you know, when, when you're doing your research in, in many respects, you're probably already doing some of the things that need to be done. If anything, you just probably want to segment certain aspects of the research, but, you know, maybe, um, also clarify the fact that, you know, in addition to looking, obviously, at the, uh, um, you know, the various cash flow balance sheet and income statement metrics, you know, you're obviously wanting to pay more close attention to the corporate governance structure. You maybe want to look at, you know, how, um, you know, they're uh, position themselves in different geographies. Is there potential for water risk? Is there, you know, you want to maybe if you're a long-term investor, you know, is there a, a climate change risk because of an operation that might be too close to um, to some area that could be impacted. Um, so th- these are things that I think you should be doing regardless, you know, and thinking about risk. And then again, on, on the flip side, you know, is there an, a technology, a, a service that could be a solution? And, and and maybe, you know, could it be, could it have different impacts that maybe is not being captured? And, and so I, I think it's, if anything, you're just expanding and you're just maybe thinking about research in a more holistic way. Um, I, I wish there was like a, a, an easy framework out there. I would say that the PRI definitely provides uh, really great guides. I, I'd say that usually that's when I tell people to look at. And then if you want just more quantitative measures in terms of how to classify, uh, you know, uh, different uh, material factors, you know, there's the, the SASB uh, uh you know, uh, frameworks as well. And so these, I think these frameworks are important because this is, again, as, 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 as I think you're going to see more standardization over time, um, you know, this is where it's, this is the foundation of, of some of the uh, frameworks that are being developed. And so it's important, um, because ultimately, you know, we're, we're looking for what the material factors are, you know, ESG sometimes is, um, is something that is looked at as something that is, over there, <laughs> when yeah. it, it's really part of what's material to the business model, um, and again, some business models are going to have, um, I think, more uh, concentrated material factors that are more linked to ESG versus others. But certainly, um, you know, that that's yeah. how we approach it, and I think that's how it should be looked at. There, you know, there, there's greenwashing out there. Um, there's a lot of information that. It, it, there's even ask, examples of companies where they all have, uh, uh, you know, some piece of information on the CSR report that contradicts what is on the financial report. And there's stuff like that that, you know, has to be addressed because, you know, we, we, we look at these CSR reports much more and, th- and they've gone from, you know, oh, look, we volunteered and we've given this money to whatever <laughs> charity to now, you know, being a lot more. Uh, you know, involved, and complex and robust and giving metrics. And we're like, look, we, you kind of need to give us some quantitative data. Are there,
1: are on there one things. or two things? You're such a nice, mild-mannered guy. Are there one or two things <laughs> that just absolutely drive you berserk that are happening right now? As he's about to pull his hair out.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, there's, you know, there's been a string of uh, articles on ESG. Like one that came out yesterday was like, oh, this engagement stuff is is bs like there's nothing to it Um, you know this esg stuff you know it's like you know not you know uh, oh the esg performance is 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 cratering this year you know it's like it's not working and it's all all the stuff is short-sighted and it drives me bananas because you know ultimately what 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 esg was meant to be was really to be a a tool um, you know, to address a lot of the inequities, right, and the ex, the negative externalities of of capitalism.
1: I, I like to say it, it's meant to reconnect the schism that was happening between business and societal well being.
2: Exactly, or, which is why, which is why I I think it, it 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 there's no coincidence in that. In many respects, it it really took off after the financial crisis because people were. After that, you know, you you saw what happened there, and, oh and it's God. just like, well, well, how can we, you know, improve things? People were so, you know, disenfranchised with the whole, the how that all worked out, which is why people started to think about ethics and start to think about corporate governance and all of these things. And this is why, if anything, the financial crisis was, in some ways, a catalyst for why we have ESG. It took a, it took a while, it took a few years. But you have to look at the development of the PRI. If you look at the PRI signatories, post financial crisis, it started to really start to you know inch up and chup and chup. And then what happened? You know, there was like a breaking point where it's like, wait a minute, if these guys are doing it, we got to do it. And now it's like they have so Enough many that social <laughs> pressure kicked in.
1: And then, and then with the pandemic, did that accelerate things, slow it down, and you know, like, interesting when you yeah. see other topics come up, is like. Anything on hold or is it accelerating because of no, the
2: war or? The, the, the pandemic also was another catalyst. And this is where we have this explosion now, because, and, and I don't know, it was people trapped in their homes and starting to really think about the world, but I, in some ways it started to really focus on ESG um, in a much more uh, uh, wider fashion. I feel like you started to see it much more. I, I feel like the war, if anything, right now, this is, you know, more of a speed bump. If anything, now that the the war has given um, ammo for scrutiny, like, wait a minute, you know, why can't we invest in defense? Look, you know, we're, you know, we're helping Ukraine. And it's like, it's not that simple. You know, there's, so we we have a policy of not investing in controversial weapons, you know, cluster munitions, nuclear biological, all this stuff. And it's like, it's very hard to discern, you know, obviously there's a small universe of companies, but it's difficult to invest in that because, you know, these weapons are also flowing to other parts of the world that are doing significant harm. Um, and so there's this whole discussion on that, which is driving me nuts. Before the war happened, one of my pet peeves, going back to your pet peeve question, was, you know, we we, we, we invest in companies that are also looking to prove, It's nice if a company has a AAA and MSCI are are a leader and all that. Most likely, that's probably reflected already in the valuation, which is what we've seen. I want the company that is like triple B. They're looking to improve. They're trying to engage with investors. They're changing things around. There's a five-year strategy that they're saying, you know what? We're going to transition our business model. And it's probably not in the valuation that to me that that is that's the sweet spot that is what we're looking for right and usually you'll have companies that maybe have some coal or natural gas And, and and so you know we we would get some pushback be like oh but this company has you know x amount of coal and then i'm like yeah but directionally speaking they're exiting from that in five years so that's what we're looking for and look at look at their capex their capex is going towards renewable energy and going towards all this all these things that are part of a low carbon transition. This is what we wanna see. Cause that is really what you wanna invest in, right? I, I was talking with, um,
1: well, many people where they just think about their growth investors. Mm. And when you reset an industry, if you reset an industry, suddenly things that haven't really been growthy, they've been commodity for a gazillion years now all of a sudden you can look like wow this is actually experiencing a rebirth we growth we usually kind of say that's stuff that's changing that stuff that's lifting that stuff like that when you transform an industry potentially you start to get the benefit of multiples going in your favor if you're like doing it at scale and you have credibility and believability and all those things
2: yeah in fact one of my um one of my colleagues at, at rockefeller who writes thought pieces every month um he 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 changed ESG and that you know the ESG should really be thought of right now in the in the current world that we're in as energy security and groceries. Um, because you know those are the things that are actually impacting ordinary people. And in and, and 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 kind of taking a step back and again come to back, back to my my discussion here and that you know we have to have a more of a pragmatic discussion about the question on energy. Because energy is to get to the transition, we still, we're still gonna need fossil fuels. Now, we should definitely not have coal as much as we have, but natural gas is a transition fuel. We are going to need it for security reasons, for resiliency and even backup power for renewable energy. A lot of people forget that baseload power is a necessity and is needed in order to have intermittent forms of power, like solar and wind. We don't have uh, a battery storage technology that can uh, give us that, not yet anyways, that will happen. But in the world we live in, and in the short term, natural gas is, is the backup uh, power and is also, uh, you know, a fuel that should be thought of, which is I, I thought it was fine that the EU uh, taxonomy included that and even nuclear. I thought it was fine. I, you know, I had colleagues in Europe, that were up in arms, like, oh, how could they do this? How could they include a fossil fuel? How could they include nuclear? I was just, you know, it's like, the world we live in today need that. And it's like, that's a better option. And we can still kind of develop all these other options that are needed in order to, uh, you know, transition. But this is where, this is where my pet peeve comes in. You know, you can't have, I I, I never forget, I had one prospect and she was like, I want a clean portfolio. I'm like, what do you mean by clean? She's like, I don't want any coal. I don't want any fossil fuels. I'm like, well, I, I could tell you right now, we have a few companies that have that, but they're going directionally in the right way. Although I don't want it. And it's like, it's not black and white. And this is going back to ESG. ESG will never be black and white.
1: At, at, at one level, that, that's a form of, I'd like to say that that's a form of asking others to subsidize your life. If you don't want to invest in casino stocks and they get wiped from the face of the earth and you're good with that, there's no subsidy. But if you say, I'm not invested in that energy stuff, well, it's pretty hard not to be the beneficiary of that energy stuff in the meantime.
2: Exactly. So, but, you know, I, I'd say, you know, going forward, um, I think we'll look back during this period and it is going to be a catalyst for how we think about energy and in terms of not only thinking about it from a transition to a low carbon economy, but having that equate to also energy independence and resilience, because that's really what we're looking for. That's what Europe is basically saying. They're like, look, we can't rely on Russian natural gas. We need to develop our own form of uh, energy that's going to come in renewable energy, but that also means an aggressive energy efficiency plan. And I'm sure and, and, and they already have they you know, they have set goals in place. Germany has definitely come out and been much more aggressive about it. Now that doesn't mean that near term, there are going to be some real challenges, which there will be, but that near term and, and that this is where the short sightedness comes into play. And people are like, Oh, you know what? This ESG stuff doesn't work because look, they're, know we're getting back to natural gas and you know all these renewable energy stocks are not working nobody wants to invest in this stuff but you know when you really understand what's happening and then you take also look at what the science is saying you know we're at a tipping point with the amazon we are you know the the climate change is going to be a huge factor next over this decade forget next decade this decade And so, and then we're having water challenges that are being exacerbated by it. We have this thousand year drought in the West that I feel like is not getting enough attention. I think once it starts to hit the grid, because it will, and people start to, you start to see brownouts and you start to see some real challenges in water. This is where people wake up, but you almost need like a, a crisis moment again. Like, you know, last time New York City was discussing climate change in such a way was when Sandy hit, because it personally Affected everybody. And uh, unfortunately, that's, I guess, human nature.
0: <laughs> Are there any um, almost like stories that you think about when you look at your career over the last 10 or 15 years that you're really proud of? Like, where you see if we hadn't done X, Y, Z, there could have been a really different outcome. And I'm really happy or proud of the outcome that transpired.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that what I'm most proud of is that you know the um, about 11 years ago, you know we we had the opportunity to create our first thematic fund. So as I had explained, you know uh, prior to you know uh, 11 years ago, you know a lot of what we were doing under the socially responsive uh, investing framework was really um, you know strategies with more of a negative screen you know, we started thinking about the positive screening aspects. And so that kind of led to thinking about a thematic portfolio around environmental opportunities. And, you know, it was an in-house, this was a a product that was developed more for our clients, particularly high net worth and foundation clients. And it was really to align with either their, their values and our foundation, their mission. And so I was actively involved in that and uh, that fund Originally was called the Rockefeller Ocean Strategy because we did partner with the Ocean Foundation, and we took a different take on the environmental aspects of the planet by looking at it from uh, an ocean lens. You know, and and, and it's and it was very simple in that you know our planet is composed of three fourths of water, and so if you think about it in that way, you know there, uh, you know the oceans actually is such an important factor that if you think about it. Um, there's so many linkages, you know, in terms of them regu- if the oceans regulating the climate. Some of the um, uh, problems associated with the environment are land-based, but ultimately affect the ocean, and the oceans are actually giving us a lot number of leading indicators about what can transpire in terms of consequences due to climate change, whether it's ocean acidification, uh, coral bleaching, and so that was what the initial thinking was. And so that fast forward till today we rebranded that strategy to what is now the Rockefeller Climate Solution Strategy. It really hasn't changed. It's just, I think it was confusing to people because they thought we were just investing in fish farms. But, but the other thing too is that, you know, a lot of the research that we did in the last 10 years, along with the Ocean Foundation, was also around this whole concept of the blue economy. And so if it wasn't for that small fund that we had done in-house, we would have had the opportunity to now also create the second thematic fund that I helped manage, which is uh, the uh, Rockefeller Credit Suisse Ocean Engagement Fund. And this is investing in companies within the blue economy, but has more of an engagement focus. And so, you know, this was a, was, you know, what was an idea and, and, and really what a concept fund for a few clients. In fact, we, and I remember in the beginning, it was there was, a, there was a number of people questioning what, why are we doing this? Like, you know, who who's going to invest in a thematic fund? And uh, here we are now, eleven years later, uh, two funds that now have um, you know combined about a little over eight hundred uh, million in in AUM. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd say that if anything, the the opportunity set from here for the next ten years is quite quite large because I do think. That there's a, a, a change in terms of how we're thinking about investing. The younger generation wants to invent, invest in solutions. They want to invest in what is gonna make the planet a better place. And, and, and you know, and, and it's important to kind of realize where the mindset is of Gen Z and the generation after that. And, and because that that is really where you're going to see um, capital flowing in the future you know I, I, I definitely think of myself as lucky to have had the opportunity to be exposed to this early on so um, it, it's not like um, I graduate and said you know what this is uh, I want to make the world a better place and I'm going to Wall Street to do it <laughs> Yeah, that um, wouldn't
1: have been a, a really. Like, <laughs> like, I think you have a good bad map there, Rolando. What happened? There?
2: <laughs> but no, it was. Um, it, it was I, like I said. I, I was completely shocked by the fact that there was this whole uh, Sri community even back then. Um, and again, I was. I was a young guy, and um, but it was. It was interesting. It was, and it was also so cool. very much um, important to me personally you know, so, and, and, you know, many people ask me, well, you, why I've been to, at Rockefeller for so long. And it's because I had that incredible and unique experience and opportunity and autonomy really to develop something that I thought was very creative, but as you can see today, I think is, uh, is now important and is now accepted um, in, in general by the, by the marketplace. And if anything, there's probably so many different, um, asset managers wanting to do this and, and, and do it in, in, in the right way. So, uh, and, and then and Rockefeller has such a great history and legacy. So the support I've had over the years has also been extraordinary, which is why I want to continue to develop um, what we've worked on for many, many years um, so far here. Okay.
1: Thank you for joining us. And thank you also for helping other people in our community learn and and take things forward. My favorite part in doing the ESG group work is is when something goes from, for our clients, goes initially from a hassle. And like, why should we do this in our performance? All these issues, these 10 forms of denial that we talk about, and you can see the trigger where they get higher excitement about being able to contribute additionally in a way they never really had expected. Thank you, Rolando.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. You're welcome.
0: A key point I heard from Rolando seems to be, hey, you're likely already doing some of this in your fundamental research. So can you build from there? I noticed that he moved effortlessly from a discussion on geographic risk to extending that To the potential for water risk and then a few additional types of climate change risk. And if we are just looking for what's material to the business model, we can build from that to include more risks around not having access to water for your operations, as an example. An interesting side note, when looking at the Principles for Responsible Investment website, there are loads of materials on risk that the credit, private debt, and sovereign debt worlds are already using So why would equity be so far behind? The second point, you know, he talked about looking for solutions. When we look for what is material to the business model, again, there are climate solutions that are going to play a bigger role. And third, where's the mindset of the future investor? They want to invest in solutions. We know that. That's one reason why technology has done so well. It's solutions-oriented. Where will Gen Z invest? Well, they're going to be looking for those climate change solutions. And that's where capital will flow in the future. Thanks for listening.